Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we take a dry, serious look at an old or forgotten RPG once every other week. Facts, honest, unbiased opinions, and strong, constructive advice for the modern DM without any wasteful falderall or pointless rambling jokes. I'm your host, Dr. J. James Aldrich, and we invite you to a thought-provoking, honest look at this week's game, Over the Edge, by Jonathan Tweet and Robin D. Laws. As this is Pledge Week here at System Mastery Radio, we shall return to you after this exhortation for your support from Nina Totenberg, Kai Rizdahl, and Lakshmi Singh. Welcome to System Mastery. I'm Jeff, as always, and with me, your co-host, John. John, how are you? I'm so good. I'm glad that I'm their co-host and not yours. Well, no, I don't even have... I'm just the host of the show, and then they have a co-host. Yeah, they yeah. have a co-host. Yeah, that's that's how <laughs> that's this... my new show. They have a co-host. <laughs> they have a co-host, starring John and Kevin James. <laughs> I'm going to make this show hell for you. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Kevin James, Max Landis. <laughs> he's not there, though, even though he seems like he'd be kind of a cool guy to meet. No, he's writing. <laughs> he writes the show for us. Yep. Yep, that's it. <laughs> just the two of you. <laughs> yeah, and it's all just in-depth discussion about the Paul Blart universe. <laughs> just expanding it and expanding it. That that Paul Blart expanded universe. Have you seen even a single Paul Blart film? No, of course not. I, I kind of figured maybe you'd been on a plane at some point and been forced to watch the first Paul Blart. <laughs> well, the nice thing is nowadays the planes I've been on have had, like, Choose you can select yeah. what movie you want to watch. Yeah, I got a uh, a text message from my girlfriend for her 15-hour flight to China that she was on a couple of days ago. And uh, she said, oh, I just found where the TV is, because I guess it's like a little pull-out TV. Uh-huh. And she said, I have a choice between Chipmunks 1 or Chipmunks 2. <laughs> My God, well, that's no choice at all. It's both, obviously. Of course. All you're really choosing is what order to watch them in. And while purists will tell you to go chronologically, there are surprising things you can learn by watching them out of the proper order. Oh, yeah. There's there's an amazing amount of depth you can get from that. It's just like with Star Wars. It's like I'm planning how I'm going to show my kids the Chipmunk movies when it comes down to it. Do I start with Chipmunks 1 and, you know, with its slightly less than perfect CGI, but it's unimpeachably wonderful songs or should i start them off with something interesting like starting from chipmunks 3 road chip and then moving backwards from there i'm actually not sure if road chip is chipmunks 3 or if that's the one that's on a boat no that's uh chipwrecked chipwrecked thank you yeah come on now it's road chip the fourth one yeah that's the fourth one. Oh boy i'm feeling out of touch now oh shoot you know what i completely lost conceit of the original plan for this episode which was to straight up do it dry with no different digressions whatsoever oh uh, we couldn't even make it through the intro no <laughs> <laughs> i know I, I literally just forgot that that was going to be my gimmick on this episode that i was going to charlie rose this one nope nothing well maybe i'll try now nope not yeah. gonna happen no i'm just john what is your opinion of today's book, Over the Edge, written by uh, luminaries of the industry, Jonathan Tweet and Robin D. Laws? Oh, Overt Hedge. It's great. <laughs> That's true. It does spell Overt Hedge. Yeah. Well, with an extra E. Overt Hedge. Yeah, it'd be over, Overt Hedge. Overt Hedge. Over the Dj. Over the Hedge. <laughs> no. Don't drag me into it with you. Yeah, join me on this bullshit journey. Dead seriousness. 
Today's book was written in 1992 or thereabouts. At least that would be the release date, which would place it far before the release of 3rd edition Dungeons & Dragons and also before Everway. So this is an early Jonathan Tweet work. Super early. Uh, It also, being written before 1994, was written prior to the release of Feng Shui by uh, Robin D. Laws, generally well known as his, his sort of core work. Although other games by him include... I can only name one, the Gumshoe series. <laughs> Other works by him include uh, Feng Shui 2. Feng Shui 2, Gumshoe. And, and Gumshoe uh, 2. And, of course, Over the Edge. <laughs> of course. And also Feng Shui. <laughs> and Feng Shui 3, which presumably. <laughs> presumably. <laughs> Feng Shui negative 1, RIP. <laughs> oh, they're doing the uh, the police movie, whatever that was. What was, what was that like dead policeman uh r.i.p.d i believe is oh, what there you're thinking you go. r.i.p.d now of course that is a digression from the core point i'd like to discuss ah, with you damn which it. as you'll recognize is hillary's emails <laughs> if we can please get back to hillary's emails <laughs> all right so uh <laughs> we are of course talking about hillary duff's emails hillary duff's emails what's in them how do i get my hands on them <laughs> how can i get a hold of them emails. I don't want anything lewd, of course. I simply want to know what sort of ads she's receiving. <laughs> I just, just want to get that correspondence. <laughs> I just want to know what she's telling her publisher. <laughs> Is she whispering him sweet nothings? I would prefer to avoid those. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, Over the Edge is a game that is purportedly inspired by William Rice Burroughs and his seminal William work. S. Burroughs. Oh, yeah. Well, the, uh, the, uh, S, the stands S stands for Rice. For Rice. <laughs> as I think we all know. Yeah. It's merely science. <laughs> science. Science. It's yes. Mer- it's merely Scientology. <laughs> William S. Burroughs' seminal classic, The Naked Lunch. Or just Naked Lunch. Or The Naked Lunch. Or Naked Lunch. <laughs> Naked Lunch, of course, a book about and inspired by Burroughs' experiences living in Tangier, heavily drugged up during the 60s. Now, this comes from the uh, writing style called the cut-up. And the cut-up style is uh, started by the Dadaists, but definitely made more popular by Burroughs with Naked Lunch. Mm -hmm. Or The Naked Lunch. Or Naked Lunch, yes. Or The Naked Lunch. Right. Uh, but in the style of cutting up other pieces of work and then rearranging them back together to create a new story. Uh, sort of like the proto-fridge poetry, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that your literature degree is finally paying off in some right? way. <laughs> I was reading this book and I was like, oh, there's a gang called the Cut-Ups. Oh, it's a reference to it. Oh, I get things. Oh, my degree works. Have you ever read Naked Lunch? No, I have read The Naked Lunch. Though. Have you read The Naked Lunch? No, I've read Naked Lunch. And what did you think of it? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> have you read anything else by Burroughs? <laughs> no. Who has? Why? I actually picked up a little bit of Hunter S. Thompson while reading through this myself. There was a bit of the old... Um, a bit of the old razzle-dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was, there was uh, just a sort of sense of who gives a shit, throw things at the wall, blame it on the government, and talk about how great the drugs are. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of that you're going to get from Burroughs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do get a few, like, little weird conspiracy things from, say, Naked Lunch. Yes. Uh, Naked Lunch primarily is the story of one man's sort of weird journey. Yeah, it's it's a very uh, distorted, non-chronological 
non-linear sort of fading in and out some of the chapters just sort of end with in the middle of a sentence yeah it's it, it you know it's very much with that cut up style being uh also very dreamlike in quality mm-hmm. and uh there's not a lot of even within chapters a lot of flow between ideas but there is distinct characters that show up as well as uh certain plot lines that will get picked up randomly throughout the book and notably several of the characters that will show up throughout the book are from other people's books yeah yeah well, once again following along with the cut up style one of the things i found notable and interesting about this book john dear co-host <laughs> was that it actually has a address directly to reviewers oh yeah so the <laughs> the beginning of this book of course Starts out with your standard, you know, what is a role-playing game, Mm. and he relishes in being able to tell people that because it's Jonathan Tweet and he loves to tell people about role-playing games. I have to assume that at a certain point, every RPG author has to face down and realize I've written that section explaining what dice are to people 10 to 15 times. Yeah. The, uh, The whole thing has a whole bunch of like, okay, this is the general theme we're going for, this is sort of how you should use this book this is what a role-playing game is but then it also has this little paragraph that is for reviewers of this book for the eyes of reviewers it says and then it addresses reviewers directly not in a sort of uh kevin smith this book is not for you style but merely in a please do not spoil the secrets of this book when reviewing it which this book is i'd say 80 percent Stuff the players shouldn't know about. Yeah, this book is mostly DM section, and and by DM section, I mean that there is a section of DM advice, which is awful, uh, and then additionally, there is one of those things where it gives you the layout of, a, of an entire city, it, it numbers it all, so people can walk into Building 73 and then discover it as a hotel. Well, the entire point of Over the Edge is it is set on the island of Alamara. Alamaria. And uh, it is a made-up weird island that... Well, it's, whole... ba- it's Tangier's Light. It's basically yeah. supposed to remind you of, of the Morocco experience that, uh, that Burroughs himself was having. But the, the whole idea behind it is that pretty much any type of conspiracy you could think of is happening on this island. Yes. So if you're thinking of like, oh, there's like government mind control or there's an alien invasion or there's a secret society that rules the world or there's whatever like all of that is true every single conspiracy is true and all of it is happening simultaneously on one island yes and the island the island is more or less the most interesting character in in the book yeah uh there are a lot of notable uh background characters and this book instead of a bestiary in here it essentially just gives you a metric ton of everyone that lives on this island of note yeah and then gives you a few not like separated out from everything like here are stats you'll use but it'll say like oh we're talking about the aries gang yeah and then it'll give you a like stat block for a typical gang member yeah and then a little suggestion that you can use this for gang members that are not specifically of the aries gang so when it discusses the, uh, the the service that hires out bodyguards, for example, it's like, here are three types of bodyguards named after chess pieces. Also, you could use these for regular bodyguards that don't specifically work for this bodyguard service. 
Yeah, the making the book basically impossible to use as a reference material. Yeah, although because, that is all it is. Yeah, so much of this, like uh, when it starts talking about the Satanists, are another big thing on the island. And there's an entire section on the Satanists. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it gives you, uh, like, the main guy, uh, whatever, blood, Avon Bloodlord. Uh, Mr. Satan, I believe. Yeah, Avon Bloodlord. Yes, Avon Bloodlord. And uh, oh, boy. His, his name used to be Blood Boy. And then he... <laughs> and then he became a blood man. <laughs> and then he found some mutant uh, centipedes. And then he found out they have weird poison that either gives you superpowers or gives you a debilitating thing Mm -hmm. and then he became a blood lord which of course is tradition within his family upon upon the day you attend your bat mitzvah or your bar mitzvah in this case you you switch from being a blood boy to a blood man and then when you find mutant centipedes you finally ascend to blood lordhood indeed yeah Uh, now uh briefly let us discuss the way that this game is played. And the reason I say that this only needs a brief discussion is because this is an exercise in stripped-down game design. There is very little that you need to know in order to play this game. Yeah. Now, as is sort of the way that uh, Jonathan Tweet's games go, uh, it is very free-form in character creation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very much make a character and just make them how you want them to be there are there's no classes no, yeah there's no list of powers to pick from there's no classes there's no real levels there's even a fascinating section in the character creation bit where they discuss the reason for this uh, the, and the reason for why this game is set in the modern day which uh whoever wrote this section describes as being because uh the players that way will know what skills they should have because they're modern people they don't need to write down driving because modern people know how to drive. They don't need to write down basic math because modern people understand that. You only need to write down the skills in which you are of unusual note. Yeah. Now, you're going to get uh, a character is made up of three distinct uh, characteristics that you'll have. The first one is going to be what you would describe your characters being. It's, so, a, it's your signature characteristic. So your your characteristic is going to be something like if someone asked you, hey, you know, what is your thing? And you would say, oh, I'm a writer. Then, like, writer would be your first characteristic. But if you were like, I'm a doctor or I'm an adventurer or I'm mostly just a lazy layabout. Or perhaps a buxom prostitute because Lord knows this book is chock full of those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also one's covered in fur yeah lightly furred with stump tails yeah because again everything is on this island so the the signature characteristic is more of i mean honestly it's very uh reminiscent of fate mm. in that it's either a job that you do or a thing that you are and it covers anything that that would entail so if i say oh, I'm a Um, historian. Yes. Then anything that has to really do with history, or I could argue academia or anything else, I could try and leverage that characteristic for. Now, note that there is a list present in here, but it is very short, very simple, and is merely meant as a jumping off point. The idea is that you're supposed to say things like, I'm a street tough, or uh, "I'm I'm a dancer with a dream. Yeah, and even along like the historian thing, you could further change that to say like oh i'm like a field historian that goes around and actually uncovers histories of things instead of sitting in an office and that way 
you could say, oh, I've got more I, skills a, related to being out in the field. So to borrow from Robin D. Law's future work, you could get away with saying, I'm a two-fisted archaeologist. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. So the idea is that you pick your own template for what your character is. Uh, your character doesn't necessarily have to be human, because there are things in this book that are not, but for simplicity's sake, they don't even mention them during the character creation section. Yeah. Uh, so let's say, for example, you choose street tough for your first thing. Yeah, so then, you're going to have, like, street-wise, you're going to have some fighting skill. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have two more to pick, and these two are, are things that are about your character that are relevant, but are not quite as defining. So generally speaking, they, the uh, first one will give you four dice, and that's just that's the number of dice you roll when trying to use it. Well, it all depends. Actually, there's a whole formula on how many dice you get. Based on how hard the thing is, which is amusing well, to me. That based on whether it is a trained skill mm -hmm. or something that anyone could do, but you're just good at it. And then there's a different number of dice that you get if it is your significant your, yeah, your signature skill, yes. Well, no, there's, there's, you can pick your non-beginning one, the one that says what you are, as your significant one. Uh, that's, I'm sorry, yes, that's, that's what I meant to get across. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, one of them's going to have the most dice. And even then, it might not have the most dice, because if you pick something that's unusually difficult, then in, you get basically half the number of dice you normally would have. Yeah, so it has essentially two charts in this book. One is, anyone could do this, uh, and... Uh, you get dice for it and you're normal at it, or anyone could do this and you get dice for it and you're exceptional at it. And usually that's a four or six split. Yes. So uh, let's say, for example, you chose a character and you said that his significant trait was driver. Yeah. Uh, you would probably end up, if that was the one you put the most dice in, you would probably end up with six dice. Yeah. As a driver, because driving is something that everyone does and understands. If, for example, you said my character is a heart surgeon, Yes. Now, that is a trained skill that not anyone could do. Mm -hmm. And especially if you do something that's very specific. So let's say, whether it's heart surgeon or you're like, I'm specifically a physicist that works in, like, because it's over the edge, I, I work in uh, alternate dimension work. Mm -hmm. Then that's super narrow. And because it is a thing that people normally couldn't do and is super narrow uh you'll get like one or two dice in it which is irritating to me because it suggests that there are no especially good heart surgeons in the world well it says that if it's a skill that normally other people wouldn't be able to do that you can do basically anything related to it without rolling mm -hmm. and that the die or two that you are rolling is mostly just a low difficulty that should be set that's what, that's actually what specifically yeah. irritates me is that they say all right if you're a driver you should have six dice because driving is easy and it's not an especially difficult train skill and so the difficulties are going to be higher if you have to do hard heart surgery and you're a heart surgeon the difficulty will be lower well okay but then the uh, the math is the same and so the difference between the two is irrelevant well, the, the big thing is stuff that anyone could do, mm -hmm. you're more likely to be competing on. So driving, let's say you're in a car chase, mm -hmm. and I'm a regular guy, and the regular amount of dice you'll get for anything is going to be two. Mm -hmm. So if I'm just some guy and it's driving, or let's say I don't have any points in uh, fighting barehanded, but anyone can throw a punch, I'll have two dice. 
Uh, if I'm a driver though, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is my thing. It's what I do is drive. Mm-hmm. Then if I've got six dice to their two, I'm way more likely to be able to get away from them if I'm the transporter than if I'm just some guy. Okay. You've successfully explained why more dice is important when it comes to the, the uh, less well-trained skills, because you need to have a, a wider range of success versus failure. Uh, because you're going to be using them in competitive situations. Now, rationalize why they bothered to come up with a second system just for hard skills when they are non-competitive, so it doesn't matter if they're if you're rolling less dice or not. It seems like it's unnecessarily c- complexity. Uh, the I think the reason they did that is because they want you to roll fewer dice when you're not in a point where you'd have to compete against someone else's dice. I, I don't see a reason why. I mean... Granted, it's a minor minor point of contention, and certainly there, we're going to find way bigger ones within the within the book. Yeah the the way the dice work is sort of weird to me. I mean, I I'm with you that the split between uh, trained, untrained, and then they also have a split between uh, uh, signature and, and secondary. Well, they have the signature and secondary, and then they have another split between something being extremely narrow oh yeah that's right broad and so it's the, weird because you you get less dice with extremely narrow skills which is the oh, opposite you get you get more dice oh, sorry, with narrow you. skills yeah okay yeah. so it's if i was a driver i would probably have like four or six they were saying hmm. uh but that would also be for like a musician things that are very like non-broad like if it's just oh i know how to play the guitar Okay, that's not usually going to be a skill that's like, oh, you're going to use this all the time in this game about weird conspiracies. So then you get way more dice because they're like, look, you're just going to be great at this because you've picked something that's super niche. Now, if it feels like we're over-explaining this one small aspect of character creation, that's because there aren't any others. <laughs> yeah, so the you get two other things and the two other aspects of your character follow the same rules as this. But have less dice involved. Well, it's just, it. it's not less dice, it's just different things. Whatever yeah. you decide to do, it'll be less broad. Your main thing of, like, I'm a historian or I'm someone who enjoys myths or whatever it is, yeah. is going to well, be something they're... that covers a lot of categories, whereas your other ones are going to be something like, I'm tough or I'm agile or I'm athletic or right. whatever it is. And they have a number of examples in the book that you can look at. Like the, the primary guy that they make is like a field researcher who uh, has, uh, he's a street, he's a scrappy street fighter as one of his secondary skills. Uh, but his primary skill is like field historian, which lets him have a lot of kind of knowledge roles he can make. And Yeah, the main thing he has is the, he knows about myths. Like that's his main thing. Yeah. And then his third skill is that he's persuasive or uh, smooth. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that gives you an idea of how to create them. And then in the DM section of the book, there's a couple of examples of uh, like how not to do it, where there's a guy whose primary trait is that he's invincible, and then his secondary traits are that he is psychic, and that he is uh, really, really good at... Oh, he has... One of his three traits was that he gets an extra die on everything. Yeah, it was, oh, I have a... Uh like Zen thing, yeah, which, Zen meditation gives which me an extra gives die. me an extra die on everything. Yeah, I have uh, the ability to read minds, and I'm well connected to one of the secret societies. You're like, great. Also, I have a guard dog that follows me around, but doesn't count as one of my traits. <laughs> I just said that there's a guard dog with me. That's kind of an extreme example of how not to play. I felt. Oh yeah. Now, one of the things the book wants you to do whenever you pick one of these traits 
is to also give a sign for it. So let's say uh, I have the ability or the uh, attribute of I'm a mage. Certainly. Like I, that's my main thing is I'm a, I'm a wizard. Okay. So you pick a sign for that, which could be anything from like has a medallion with strange symbols on it or uh, constantly talks about old books, things like that. Yeah. Now, that, that helps with uh, role play because that means that other pl- people who encounter you, the NPCs, they, they'll see your sign. And it'll open up their their minds when they see that sign. No, it opens up their eyes. God, you can't even do a joke right. I'm this sir, is why we should do serious things. I, I, only. I'm sorry, sir. I, I am certainly not making any form of joke on today's episode. Our our listeners have demanded no, it. No, you are the joke on today's episode. Oh, that hurts me. <laughs> so the uh, the whole point of that is, I mean, it says when you're introducing your character to say the other PCs or anyone else, instead of going. Uh, I'm a wizard who's good with knives, and I know a lot about uh, languages. Instead of just describing what you have, you'd be like, my character walks into the room with a strange medallion that has weird arcane symbols that seem to shift. He appears as though he moves with a elegance that would belie his stuffy frame, and he always seems to be talking about things in weird accents and strange languages and you're like okay great stop i can't roll my eyes any harder oh you can try (laughs) i could but i'm gonna get those weird little dots that come in from the sides (laughs) uh so so yeah you you choose your three traits and those give you some dice mechanics and you use the tells to make it so your character is easily descriptive you also need to choose a drawback yep and the drawback has to be something that is an actual drawback you can't just be like and my drawback is I'm too committed to the job. I work too hard. <laughs> I just can't stop working. <laughs> People keep giving me expensive gifts and I don't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> yeah. So your drawback, like a lot of the examples they give are things like, oh, has hallucinations or is... That's very Burroughs. Yeah is uh, uncertain of whether or not this is the actual reality they're supposed to be in, or things like superphobic of a very common item, or like arrogant enough that they don't recognize a lot of people. Can't leave this opium den, can't stop fucking Moroccan children. That's the kind of Burroughs <laughs> shit you need. That kind of Burroughs shit. <laughs> so... Once you've gotten your three traits and decide which one of them you want to be your super awesome trait, and you have your drawback, you're done. Your your character's done. You should probably give them a name. Meh. I mean, it could be the character with no name, Jim. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, yeah, you're done. You've made your character. Uh, You need some gear, but this game just uses dollars. Yeah. The entire system of that they're like we didn't decide to make up a weird currency specifically for alamara they just went eh, fuck it everything is in dollars we don't care yeah the whole concept of alamara is that it seems as though everyone who lives there doesn't give a shit about anything going on there's just constantly intrigue and interplay and disasters everyone's doing drugs and having sex yeah listening to uh what's her name summers the carla carla yeah carla summers yeah there's a uh there's a cheeseburger in paradise jimmy buffett type group that is a cult that believes that their their singer uh carla summers 
is uh, the one true God and that her songs are gospel. Like, she channels the divine through her songs yeah. and the Summerites yeah, the, are one of the many cults in this game. And and for the record, they describe her as being very Jimmy Buffety, that she's, all of her songs are about relaxing and hanging out on islands. <laughs> uh, and and uh, she also doesn't much care for her own cult. She thinks it's well, she did, She hasn't even acknowledged that it exists. Yeah, well, she doesn't even usually come to Alamarja. She's no. an American singer. Yeah. Uh, so the, the but, island itself has a bunch of weird crap. Everything in the island has the worst names. Like, the the edge is the name of the main city in the island. That's, yeah, that's why it's called Over the Edge, if you if you get it. Do you, do you get it? Did you get it yet? And then there's also a, a city on the island called... Called Bono, and then... <laughs> yeah, Larry Mullen Jr. <laughs> and uh, the, the fourth one. And the, uh, and the fourth one. Uh, uh, Chad Michael... Chadwick Mc... Boseman. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman. No, it's uh, it's Adam Clayton. I, I can name all four members of you two. That's good. I can't. <laughs> Uh, let's see. There's. I couldn't even get to Mullen. <laughs> he couldn't go. Sir, first of all, Larry Mullen Jr. Larry Mullen was his father. <laughs> no, he was a... that's a... his father was not named Larry Mullen. He just has the Jr. on there because it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, nothing sounds cooler than Jr. Jr. <laughs> people are always like, man, if only people thought I had the same name as my dad but needed a delineating characteristic to, a, to to identify which one of us was which in the course of simple conversation, that would make me so cool. It would, though. It would. <laughs> How come women never get to be juniors? <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's, it's not fair. That's that's true. It is. It is not fair. Yeah, I want some of that. That's, that's going to be my way to fight back against the patriarchy is I'm going to name my daughter my girlfriend's name. <laughs> Which I'm not going to reveal on the air, so just assume that my daughter's name is going to be my girlfriend's name. <laughs> You've already said her name. Everyone knows it's Florence. <laughs> Florence, thank you. Yes, Florence Gregg. <laughs> that's her. That's her real name. She's uh, she's a Gorg from the uh, from the <laughs> Fraggles universe. <laughs> Incidentally, one of the most famous Gorgs is known as Junior. So yeah, uh, we're see? bringing it all around. See, full circle. It all comes together. Uh, it's one of the great conspiracies. See, this is why I had to be serious today because you drag me into jokes that don't make any sense at all. I know it's the best. <laughs> so the the whole thing with that is uh, when you're making your character as well, you're just going to have whatever money you think is appropriate. The book is like. Look, man, just if they say they have enough money to buy something, just let them have it. It doesn't really matter. Once you get, like, maybe a couple of items, it's not going to be a thing anymore. Yeah. Because guns are outlawed on Alamarha. As are bulletproof armor. Yeah. There is, uh, like, a Duro trench, which is like a trench coat that is like steel woven or whatever and gives you some armor protection uh you can wear a few like heavy leathers or things like that like bike uh outfits yeah and and as much as i hate the name duro trench it actually does kind of fall in with how people from the 60s couldn't write sci-fi names for things for the life of them no so that's fine i'm okay with it uh so most of the time you're gonna be running around without any guns and without most armor like you'll maybe have a point of armor which is fine because 90 percent of the city is just people getting in line to have sex in a room yeah and uh thing is there is a lot of violence in alamarha obviously mm-hmm. uh 
from the various gangs that run around. Uh, yeah, the secret police, the, uh, the well, various... Well, it's a, not even a secret police. It's the Peace Force, which is the only people on the island allowed to have armor and guns. Right. And they just are pretty much just fascist police. Yeah, and then you've also got, like, a couple of alien species. You got a bunch of gangs. You got a bunch of cults. All kinds of crazy nonsense. Cult gangs. A, a lot of it is social commentary stuff. Oh, yeah. But before we get into that, why don't we start from the beginning and go over, because really, this isn't a story about the rules, because we've already told you every rule in this game, with the exception of how guns and armor interact, which is a section of the book that takes twice as long as the rest of character creation combined. <laughs> yeah, so normal weapons, you'd roll, and whoever you are rolling against would defend. If you beat their defense roll with your dice, then however much you defeat it with is the damage you're going to do. So let's say you beat it by four points. Mm -hmm. Then you would be doing four points of damage. If you have a weapon that has a multiplier to it, like let's say I'm using a knife and it's got times two, mm -hmm. great, instead of four, I'm doing eight damage. And then if they have any armor, most of the time it's going to be something like... It subtracts one leathers. point. It'll be one point, so it'd go down to seven and that would be it. Right. Sometimes if it's stronger armor, it'll subtract one die of damage instead of just one damage. Sometimes it'll cut damages in half. So armors are complicated because they do a variety of different things. And to give you an example, and again, let me point out to you that a character in this game consists of three traits that don't have numbers assigned to them and a background, or sorry, a, a uh, drawback, which also does not have a number assigned to them. But John, if I may, I'd like to read a passage from Over the Edge. This is what happens when someone shoots hollow point ammunition, for some reason they statted that out, against someone who is wearing both a Kevlar vest and a Duro trench trench coat. Great, go for it. Here we go. Sometimes, someone wearing a reinforced jacket over a Kevlar vest would stop one die plus one point from normal attacks. Against a bullet, he would first stop one die divided by two for the jacket and then divide the remaining damage by a roll on one die for the Kevlar. Against an armor-piercing round, he would first subtract two points, one for the jacket and the other for the Kevlar. Against a hollow point round, he would first subtract double the roll on one die for the jacket and then divide the result by double the roll on one die for the Kevlar. Now, sometimes, some crimes will go slipping through the cracks, but these two gumshoes... Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Good. Just to give you an idea of how complicated armor is. Yeah, the... Rules for basic combat, if it's what's normally going to happen on the island, whether it's uh, fisticuffs or using a knife or like a baseball bat or whatever. Or psychic powers. No. Most of the normal stuff is easy. Yeah. If you're just like, well, I go to punch a guy. Okay, he tries to not get punched. Did you beat it? Yep. Then you do some damage. It's very simple. Yeah, but when you bring guns and armor into it, all of a sudden it goes into full-on super tactical combat mode. And There's trying to shoot someone is impossible. Oh, yeah, because they get huge benefits to dive out of the way. Also, this book has all those like full auto and full burst auto and spray the room type sub rules. And most of it is generally just... You're less accurate and you use all your bullets. Yeah, you're like, oh, if you if you do the full spray, then it sucks more for you. And if you do the like the three die or the three shot burst, it's slightly better for you. Yes. But the... Uh, the reason trying to shoot someone is awful is normally, like I said, if someone was like, oh, I defend, I have, say, the agile trait. I go, oh, great. I'm going to use that instead of two dice because normally you get two dice to defend because that's everyone. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, oh, I'm agile and I've got three dice in it, you're like, great, roll the three dice instead. Uh, if you beat it, you do the damage. But with 
shooting someone, there's dice that they get bonus on their defense depending on a ton of things. The right, worst there's all these is factors. the distance. Like, yeah. even if you are point blank, they still get an extra die on defense. Mm-hmm. And if they are attempting to dodge, they get two dice. If there's any cover, they're going to get anywhere between, like, one to six dice. Essentially, if unless someone stands there and lets you shoot them in the head, you are never going to hit someone with a gun. It is very unusual to me. It's, it's like, this is a game where if your character is a wizard, you know because someone hands you a single piece of paper with the word wizard written on it and nothing else. You have the word wizard written down in your sheet, and your character is a wizard. Done. You Do you cast spells? I don't know. Your sheet says wizard, so probably. What, how do the spells get cast? I don't know. Argue with your DM about it. Don't worry about it. Cat, roll some dice. You're a wizard. But then if you're like, my character has a rifle, then the DM's response is to hand you a slide rule and a protractor and a handful of dice and a calculator. Yeah, it's insane that they were like, I, th- I figure it was basically, we made this as complicated as possible because we don't want people doing it. But then again, that level of passive-aggressive DMing and authorship is is pretty much the whole book. Yeah. Where it's always like, did one of your players do something you disagreed with? Oh, well, that's simple enough. The city's secret police are chasing after them now. <laughs> or, or I guess you could talk to them like a goddamned adult, but instead of that, dogs constantly bite at their ankles. Yeah, it's. I had mentioned before that if someone wants to have the money because it would be in character for them to have it, then let them do that. Mm-hmm. And then it says, oh, but if someone's abusing this and is constantly buying everything and throwing money around and just generally acting like a millionaire, then you can do one of several things. One, they begin to attract attention from everyone because they have money, and so people are always trying to rob them or get them to invest in their company. Or... If money is being thrown around like that, all of a sudden, someone wants to kidnap them and ransom them. And they're like, oh, God, don't do that. I mean, some of them are okay hooks. Like, your character is a kidnapping target is actually kind of a cool adventure hook, right? Uh, the problem is that some of them aren't, they aren't played as fair hooks. They're not like, oh, you've, you've discovered a kidnapping plot, and now let's have an adventure. It's just, hey, your character gets kidnapped. Maybe you've learned a lesson about fiscal responsibility, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Which, well, first of all, who the fuck are you to teach your players lessons? They are as old as you are older. No, well, you see, I'm actually a primordial beast, and I'm here to teach lessons to people. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a huge dick, but then they'll understand my lessons. This makes me think that most of the DMs you ever encounter, you have to be super nice to DMs you encounter at like conventions and so on, because they might secretly be Odin dressed up as an old man. <laughs> <laughs> if you uh. don't. And if you're nice to him, then he'll give you a fine mead hall. <laughs> but but if not, then he will curse you to Hades and you'll have to hang out with Hela. Yeah, to Hades. I, I don't know. He yeah. can do that. Odin curses you to Hades. Whatever. I'm sure I mean, it's some kind of hell. Who cares? <laughs> some kind of hell. It's just H-E-L. Or is that the lady? I think that might just be the lady. Yeah, the lady is hell. Or yeah. Hela if you're in Marvel. What, what is it then? Uh, which Heim is it that you get sent to? What's the uh, bad, what's the bad uh, Heim? Helheim. Helheim? Helheim doesn't sound right. <laughs> I think Helheim is what it Wait is in World of Warcraft. <laughs> Wait, no, I think that's not right at all. First of all, you just that added is... Heim to the end of something. <laughs> oh, yeah, you get I, oh, sent to Vaughn's Heim oh, to pick up rem- some groceries. I just remembered it's Hades Heim. Oh, that, that's it. Yeah, or Hadashim, I think is what you're supposed to call it. <laughs> oh, Hadashim. <laughs> oh, over the hedge. <laughs> oh, overt hedge. So, okay. Uh, 
moving past the guns because for some reason that's that's the last little. This whole book's oh, rules are the, on one page. One page they have a little condensed how to play the whole game. You can play the whole game with just that that page in this book. Now the only other rule for when you are rolling mm-hmm. is they have either a bonus or penalty die. Ah uh, yes yes yes. Uh, the Basically bonus or penalty die yeah. is instead of say adding an additional die that adds onto your roll. If it's a bonus die. You roll that plus your other dice, and then you would drop the lowest. Mm-hmm. So you'd say, I've got one bonus die. I'll roll these four dice and then drop lowest. If yeah. I've got a penalty die, of course, the exact opposite. I roll those four dice, drop highest. Mm-hmm. And you can have multiple bonus or penalties. And it's it's pretty liberal with how it, it applies to them. It's always things like, uh, it's slightly foggy out. You have to roll a penalty die. However, you've been aiming, so you get a bonus die. And they cancel out so you don't roll anything. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to note... Aren't there exploding sixes in yeah, this? The other yeah. thing to note is if you roll all sixes, yeah. you get to roll another one, and if that's a six, you keep rolling. Which paradoxically roll, makes you better if you're rolling less dice, because you're more likely to get all sixes. That's, well, it also makes it so that uh, the bonus dice and the penalty dice are more powerful, because the other rule is if you roll all ones, then you botch. Right. Oh, that's right. So that makes it paradox. So basically, if you're rolling less dice, a crazy extreme thing is more likely to happen. Yes. So like, for example, when you're doing heart surgery, a crazy extreme thing is more likely to happen. Yeah, you're more likely to either be like, oh, I fixed this guy's heart up real good, or I accidentally left my watch inside of his heart. Yeah, as opposed to what should be happening with a heart surgeon, which is a sense of stability. Well, that's the other thing, is they're like, if you have the thing heart surgeon as one of your traits, Mm -hmm. and someone's like, you need to perform heart surgery. You do. You don't roll for it. That is true. Unless it's on some kind of crazy alien, or if you're in a heart surgery competition. Yes, you're in the heart surgery off. The (laughs) iron surgeon. (laughs) Today's secret ingredient is Kool-Aid. I don't want to use that with it. You have to. Yeah. Fix his heart with Kool-Aid, bitch. Do it. (laughs) You have to incorporate Kool-Aid into at least three of these heart surgeries. Uh, All right, so let's talk about the history of the island, because that is 85% of the book. Now, let me just go ahead and say, spoiler alert, I don't want to ruin this for people. Uh, oh, there yeah. is, of course, for reviewers, do not spoil the mysteries. Let's, we are going to be doing that. Let's pay lip service to that. If uh, for ex- if you are worried about us spoiling the book, what I want you to do is uh, ter- pause the podcast when I say so, and then you can pick it up again at the following time code. You ready? Uh, don't. Stop listening to this episode. Okay, moving on. Yay! <laughs> the... Entire island is ruled by a dictator. It's all a giant turtle, too. That, that was surprising to learn. <laughs> yeah, the, four hold, elephants underneath. Yeah, flying through space, all in a turtle. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, plus everyone on the island is secretly disguised as everyone else on the island. Uh, <laughs> and I believe that Snape killed Trinity with Rosebud. Yes. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> well, welcome to the spoiler alert. <laughs> That'd be a good name for a podcast. I guarantee you there's already 15 called that. I'm willing to bet, yes. Yeah. All right. So, moving forward, uh, Alamaria has a qua- crazy super queen who lives on it. She's, yeah. she's not super powered or anything, but she's very invested in keeping the island politically or uh, financially solvent. She is a super dictator that has been around for a long time. Uh, first secret I'll reveal, she is using some weird... Uh, medicine from some aphids. Not aphids like the actual bug, but an actual person named an aphid. Mm-hmm. Not, Which uh, is a, a group of people created by the, the pharaohs, I want to say? Yeah, so the... Oh God, let's get into the secret history of the world. Fuck it. We'll go right into it. 
Spoiler territory. We'll get less spoily as we go along. Okay. You want to know the secret of the world? Glugs. That's the secret of the world. Yep, that's right. Glugs, the original true humans. So instead of, like, a lot of books would say, like, oh, yeah, Atlanteans were the true humans, and then they're better than humans, and then humans are assholes. Yeah, they're more human than human. In this book, Glugs are... Let's just dispense with the fact that every single thing in this book that's that's new, like a, an original idea, has the dumbest name in the world. Yes. Okay, there you go. So the Glugs. The Glugs were a utopian people. They had a society without violence. They were very peaceful, and uh, they were then fucked up by the <laughs> eight evil sages. That's right. The eight evil sages came along and ruined things for the Glugs. Uh, and the, because the the sages created... The pharaohs, mm-hmm. and the pharaohs were like genetically created to be leaders. Correct. And then they created aphids, which are people that secrete a weird, milky substance that the pharaohs use to stay immortal because mm-hmm. they have no immune system. They don't really have a lot. Like a lot of their organs are atrophied. They're basically just using this substance to stay alive. Correct. Uh. But the pharaohs created humans the way we are. Yes. And we are mutants. That's that's us. We are mutant versions of glugs. Now, you can tell the difference between a human and a glug because a glug has sweet-smelling, vaguely intoxicating sweat, and they are allergic to stimulants. And they have weird little ridges on their skull that are not prominent enough to be like a Star Trek alien. Yeah. But uh, if you feel around, you can feel these weird ridges on their head. But their, as mentioned, their sweat when aroused is addictive, which means that glugs usually mate for life because they become addicted to each other. But Might as well face it. The, They're they, addicted to glugs. <laughs> they never mate uh, or continue to mate with humans for a while because humans don't have that. So the humans will get addicted to the glugs, but the glugs are like, eh, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jesus. So glug juice is one of the various drugs that's introduced in this game, along with aphid gunk. But then there are several new drugs in, 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 introduced in the beginning of the book. I'm sorry, we should probably come to the I drugs. I was going to say, why are you skipping right to drugs? Uh, because it's one of my favorite parts of the book. I know. But it's fine. Keep going. Keep telling us about the eight sages and the pharaohs and the, and the glugs. When do we get to the Kurgillians? Uh, I'll get, I'll just go through all of the stupid bullshit in here. Uh, fine. I'll quick. just provide color commentary. You fire away, buddy. Okay. So the glugs eventually overthrew the sages. So they're dead, but the pharaohs are still alive. And after they killed the sages and drew, uh, drove the pharaohs underground, mutant humans who are super violent, love fighting and establishing dominance went and like ruined the world and they tore down this Mm -hmm. utopian society and established their own civilization which is terrible and welcome to commentary yep social commentary time uh so that's the state of things now there are a few glugs on the island but they are keeping it secret so that they are they are not captured and, and taken underground by the powers that be well yeah the uh most of the people in charge uh Diab- 
Dobain or what the fuck is the name? Doban. Do, it's uh, it, it yeah, it it's one of those French words. It's like D A U B I E N N E S or something. Yeah, it's Doban. So uh, it might be Darban because I think there might be an R in there too. I'm not sure. So she's the dictator and she has outlawed Glug, mm-hmm. the language and the people. Yes. <laughs> so they only speak it to each other, and that's great. So right. that's one of the secret things on the island is. True humans. True humans. By the way, one of the things I wanted to mention about the Queen is that uh, anytime this book mentions a piece of technology in passing, it'll be like, hey, there's this this thing that psychics can you, that can build that's a little chunk of psychic brain that just loops things back, and if a psychic gets near it, it'll eventually kill him. By the way, the Queen has 50 of these fucking things, and also a huge one made out of a blue whale brain. Yep. Which And every time. Every time they're like, hey, here's some random thing that, that will kill people. By the way, the Queen has a thousand of these. Yeah, the, uh, well, she's not the queen. She's the president for life. She's a dictator. Sure, she's the president for life of being the queen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up to speed. So the, the weird thing with that is all of the main important uh, NPCs have this. So the... Uh, the looper or just uh, the... Well, no, have ridiculous protection. Yeah, they all have super they protection. They have plot so protection because there's Dr. Nussbaum who is like... Oh, I come up with all the crazy science shit on this island. Mm-hmm. So all of the ways that you like kill psychics or kill wizards or stop anyone from doing anything or do like genetic manipulation or whatever, it's all this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's him and the uh, like the dictatorship family. Mm-hmm. So uh, whatever the main lady's name plus her kids. Tessa Dobin or something like that. I forget. Uh, and then. Also, the uh, scientist that will eventually create the Throckmorton device, which I will get to, all have plot immunity, essentially. Which is, it's infuriating when you see that sort of thing in a book. It's unnecessary to be like, hey, if your players want to try and kill the queen, they can. But keep in mind, you're going to have to roll the value of damages from these many hundreds of thousands of things that are defending her. Oh, yeah. Or you could just say, she is unassailable, don't worry about it. Yeah, don't, don't give her stats. Yeah. Which they do to everyone who you're like, Oh, don't try and kill this person. Also, here they are in the book. Right. But they like they have a grenade that throws nerve Some gas out that immediately kills anyone it's in in its vicinity, but then becomes inert after a few seconds mm-hmm. and they are genetically immune to it because it's been made to not affect them. Right. So if anyone tries to attack them, like, oh, I throw a grenade and it kills everyone in range of me, except for me. Why they don't just have that stuff constantly pumping into their own house is, is a mystery to me. Uh, because they have bodyguards and guests and things like that. Why? Why would you need bodyguards if you just live in a cloud of poison that no one else can deal with? <laughs> uh, because then it's just you in that cloud of poison That's, forever? Well, yeah, but you don't care. You're some sort of magical thrall to the, to the surviving pharaohs. No. Uh, the uh, dictator lady is actually playing off of the movers and the pharaohs at the same time. She's not actually a thrall to anyone. Mm-hmm. Sure she's not. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, man. Wheels within wheels. So, okay. So you've got the pharaohs. That's one of the big secret things as well as the glugs. Uh-huh. You've also got the movers, which I just mentioned, which is your general Illuminati. Yes. Uh, they are much like the pharaohs. The pharaohs are like, oh, we're trying to make it so that humanity will be a certain way and boy howdy were they behind the uh genocide of the native americans and they were behind uh hitler coming to power and basically all of the shit that you shouldn't just gloss over and say this was an experiment by some weird guy yeah by the way the uh, native americans weren't completely genocided because there's one native american npc in this book 
His name is Bill Walks of Feathers, and uh, wouldn't you know it, he's an alcoholic and a Cherokee. <laughs> wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know it? There you go. That's the story of the one Native American. What's he? First of all, what the fuck is he doing on Alamaria? Uh, uh, but whatever. So the pharaohs have established the United States as a, an experiment, and Canada is the control group. Yeah. Yep. God damn this book. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it's it's not like it's fun to read. It's just it's just so crazy. Uh, so the movers then are the ones who are like trying to shape the society to what they want it to be. So they're occasionally in opposition to the pharaohs, but they don't really know that the pharaohs exist. Let it be known that generally, when you encounter a mover throughout the course of the book, they are doing something boring and stupid. It's all like, hey, this lady who runs this hotel is a secret mover. Don't you piss her off. What what is she doing? She's running a fine hotel. There's hookers in it. You can get all these hookers for fifty dollars. Okay, but what's she doing that's mover focused? I I don't know. Uh, hotel stuff. Well, the I mean, the whole thing with the movers is it's basically a pyramid scheme of, oh, the people that are on top have all these crazy plans and they're manipulating the people below them and so on and so on and so on. So when you get inducted to being a mover, you're basically just someone's pawn. Right. Ugh. Okay. So now can we talk about Kergillians? Fine, I'll talk about the Kurgillians. Or you can if you want to. You love them so much. The Kurgillians are an alien race that look like humans that are... Oh, no, wait, do they? No, they're they're little crab things. They're crabs, I'm sorry. They infest humans. Yeah, they look like little crab things, and their whole thing is that they can put probes into humans that are called Kurgillian devices or Kurgillian probes, which can influence the way that humans act. So they are basically the uh, the conspiracy of alien mind control. Well, they... Uh, they're bo- invasion of the body snatchers, essentially. Yes. So although they, they don't in... replace you, they, they yeah just... they do. Oh no, Kurgillian probes aren't whole rebuilt people. They're probes inside of people. No, the Kurgillians do that to people. Oh yes, yes they do. They ride around inside of people. Yeah, they attach to you and eventually take you over completely. Like when they first attach to you, they're like, oh okay, uh, you are influenced by me, but the longer I'm on you, the more I become essentially what's in charge. Yes, and so they describe the people who have heavy Kurgillian influences doing things like eating handfuls of dirt or coffee grounds and stuff like that because they're they're heavily controlled by the Kurgillian influence and will soon be completely taken over by them. So there's just yet another alien race that's taken that, that's uh, taken root here on this one random island. And it it gives you a couple options. They're like, oh, you can say it's the beginning of an actual alien invasion and they mean to take over, or they're using Alamara as a uh, like intergalactic travel spot and that they're trying to establish themselves as like, oh yeah, we're the like alien tour guide board. So if you're an alien that comes to Earth, like the Kurgillians are the ones who will be like showing you around. The whole problem, as always, ends up being why is everyone con- uh, like confined to this one island that's roughly the size of like Dallas? <laughs> you know, the aliens could go anywhere on Earth and not have to contend with all these other crazy things happening. Yeah, be but like, be like, hey man, what you want to just set up in Chicago and just let aliens wander around Chicago? There aren't like crazy Illuminati guys there or nothing. No pharaohs. We could do that. Nah, let's all work on this one rinky dink island with a super dictator. Yep. So, uh, okay. So, in addition to that, we've got uh, a whole bunch of gangs. My very favorite one, though, is the gang that is made up of baboons. Yeah. Uh, that's not my favorite, so I got I've got one to talk about too. Yeah, so there's a uh, there was a woman who had because 
Of course, this is ridiculous libertarian paradise. There's no laws against basically anything unless it would hurt the dictator. Yeah, including things like eating or collecting intelligent animals. That's one of the favorite things to do on the island is to eat intelligent animals. Yeah. I don't know where they're getting them because there's no... No, it's, it's uh, non-verbal and sentient. Because sentient just means, like a dog is sentient. It it can think. Uh, as opposed to sapient then? Yes. Okay. And, uh, so the it's the whole commentary of like, Oh, these people are so barbaric. Occasionally, they will murder a sentient being and then place it on display before consuming it. Gosh, how barbaric. And you're like, yeah, we get it. Quit jerking yourself off. Fair enough. I'm up, I'm up to speed now. I, when I first read Sentient, I, was, I, I thought it meant that they had a, a ready supply of, like, semi-intelligent, like, they were, like, primarily eating dolphins and gorillas on the island. Yeah. By the way, they do mention that, that uh, when I was talking about that, <laughs> That yes. anti-psychic looper thing, they, they, it came about that dolphins are intelligent and that their brains, when put into looper things, can make psychics just go crazy. Well, it's dolphins are psychic, of course, yeah. is the line from the book. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course they're psychic. Don't even worry about it. And they're intelligent. Don't worry about that either. But their alien language is too confusing for humans to understand and will drive them nuts. Yeah, the because there's a looper, which is the, it just gives you essentially psychic feedback until your head explodes. Mm-hmm. There's the dolphin one, which is a white noise generator for psychics, so right. you can't really tell what's going on. And so, again, they mentioned that they that there is a dolphin looper that's in the queen's house that is made out of a blue whale brain, which I guess is supposed to Im- impinge upon you the concept of how huge a killer, a blue whale brain is. But what it, all it really does is make you think, wait, aren't blue whales just giant food machines? Also... You specifically mentioned that dolphins are psychic and intelligent, yeah. not blue whales. Blue whales are not dolphins. Yeah, they're I don't, I they're don't huge understand. and stupid. All they do is swim through krill. <laughs> they don't need to learn a lot to be alive. They're yeah. very dumb. The fact that their brains are big would not seem very imposing to me. No, that's just a lot of pink meat. <laughs> but oh uh, man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, <laughs> <laughs> gross. <laughs> all right so uh so yeah we've got uh this gang which is this lady had a couple pet baboons mm-hmm. and then she went to one of the shops on here that is uh like oh i'm a weird super scientist but i'm also a repairman mm-hmm. he repaired her radio and now the radio makes baboons hyper intelligent and loyal to her mm-hmm. so she's just kept importing baboons and now she has a gang of baboons There's like 40 of them that patrol an area, and you can get like a sticker on your uh, establishment that's like, oh, we're protected by this gang. And so if anyone fucks with you, some guy will show up with like five baboons who will tear you apart. Right. Now, I want to talk about my favorite gang that's currently roaming around on the modern island, and that is uh, the gang that is fueled by... The fact that uh, children can legally emancipate themselves on the island whenever they wish. Uh, as soon as they pass like the age of 11 or something like that, if they have the means, they can legally separate themselves from their parents and live independently. Uh, children who do this often join gangs and so on because it's fun to run around with other kids and they need the protection. And children who join these gangs are known officially on the island because they are pubescent as pubes. Yep. So anyone who is... Uh a young child that has emancipated themselves and is just running around the island, essentially treating it like it's in Pinocchio. Yeah, and it's Pleasure just, Island. They're all yeah. turned into donkeys, yeah. But they're pubes. They're they pu- are pubes. There's a whole bunch of pubes. Like, anytime you go into a neighborhood, it's just thick with pubes. There's just a... Oh, man, I tried to... 
tried to get a soda and there was a pube on the can. Man, I went to the dentist the other day and he was like 13, so I got a bunch of pube in my teeth. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's on the island. There's a whole bunch of dumb shit. In addition to all the gangs, because most of the gangs are just sort of, oh, we're either a peacekeeper or evil. There's the Satanists, which I mentioned. There's the Summerites. There's the, uh, uh, the, the Ares gang. Now, the big thing outside of the pharaohs and the movers and stuff like that is the Throckmorton device. Yep, the Throckmorton device, yep. Let me go ahead and explain to you the Throckmorton device. Please is, do. Is a device that has not been invented yet, mm-hmm. but is affecting people right now because when it sends out its weird mind control signal, it does so not only in space, but through time because it's got quantum. So again, like I was saying, this really made me feel like Kurt Vonnegut when I was, or not made me feel like Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, it made me feel like I was Kurt Vonnegut reading something and going, God, this is garbage. (laughs) This is horseshit. Also, what I write is horseshit. I'm Kurt Vonnegut. I don't think that. I love Kurt Vonnegut. He thinks his own writing is horseshit. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) So the the Throckmorton device is named after a guy named like William Throckmorton. Oh, it's named after a guy named Throckmorton? That's good. And the reason is, like, he gets, he comes to power, but mostly because this device is going backwards through time. So, so the it, device is essentially creating itself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it also protects Dr. Reyes, who is, she is eventually going to invent it, mm-hmm. but has not yet. And she has plot immunity, unlike, say, uh, the dictator or Dr. Nussbaum, because they have ridiculous amounts of stupid plot device. But... She has literal plot immunity because she's like, oh, yeah, the universe will bend to make it so she doesn't die because she has to invent this machine because it's already sending signals back in time. So she does invent it, which means you can't kill her or stop her because she has to make this because it's already happened. What if the only thing you did instead was invent a Throckmorton device? <laughs> like, th- would that ruin it? Like, ha, I got a patent on Throckmorton devices. Yeah, well, she would make one anyway. Uh, that's true, but then she'd be in violation of my patent, and I'd get sweet money from suing her. <laughs> Except you would also become a slave to William Throckmorton. Well, no, because I'd have my own device, the Mock Throckmorton device, which I would already be a slave to. <laughs> so, that boner on them. So this device uh, essentially turns you into a horrible conservative. Uh-huh. The, the device... Um, the more you are under its thrall. And I'm sure there weren't any horrible conservatives on Libertarian Island already. Oh, yeah, but the whole device is like, oh, if anyone is doing drugs or having sex, you disapprove of that. You disapprove of miscegenation and homosexuality and, like, tattoos and piercings and all these kids need to get off your lawn and, man, we're going to build a wall around Alamara. <laughs> like, that is... I'm amazed there isn't one already, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, so the, the Throckmorton device is just turns you into a ridiculous conservative and makes you a uh, puppet of this guy. Yeah, so I think... Is that all the major threats? Are we? Are we those, ba- are, those are the major threats. There are a bunch of random bullshit on the island that you oh, can yeah. also go to. Yeah, every time you open this book at random and, and poke at a random word, it'll be some group of, of some sort of movers and shakers on the island that oh, you've yeah, never heard like, of what before. Are, what are these? The trash men. What are they? Oh, there's no trash collection service on the island. A bunch of homeless people take trash 
They dump it off of the like side of the island onto a ledge so that the highest ups and the trash men go through it, take whatever they want, dump that onto the second ledge, and so on until it gets to the sea. So if you're one of the lowest in the trash men, you get the dregs of whatever anybody else doesn't want. You get the worst trash. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. And this is every time you open the book and stab it to a random page. You do that and you're like, wait, the island has ghosts? Huh? What's How, how does it have ghosts? There's anti-mage devices called psychovores, and if you astrally project, they eat you? <laughs> yeah. Just every time. It really is a good cut-up book. Yeah, there's a bunch of just weird bullshit all throughout it. Now can I talk about the drugs? Fine, we'll get to the drugs. So one of the things in this island is that because it's a libertarian super paradise, it's a party capital. And so there are all these like random clubs and so on full of club kids and music and dancing. And all drugs are pretty much legal. Yeah, just about every drug is legal. And this book has a variety of new drugs, which are specifically very popular on the island. So uh, briefly to discuss them, there's Blue Shock. Which, Blue Shock causes you to go into immense pain, mm-hmm. but then after that wears off, you have super heightened senses. So it actually gives you like combat penalties, and then all of a sudden, combat bonuses. Uh, yeah, or actually more combat penalties, because you're also, you're heightened senses, which means you are also heightened pain. Yes. So if someone punches you, you're like, oh god, ow. Right. There is also a 10% chance whenever you take Blue Shock that you will spontaneously combust. If you OD on Blue Shock, you explode. You just burst into flames. Good job. So again, I, I well not again, this is my first time I'm making this point. A lot of the drugs in this game have way too strong of side effects for them to work as recreational drugs. Yeah, there's it, certain ones that I look at and I go, oh, okay, I can understand why that would be a thing. But some of them I look at, especially Blue Shock, where it's like, what does this do? Oh, it makes you go into ridiculous amount of pain, and then you have heightened senses, but everything also kind of sucks a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great. Also, uh, you might the blow drawback? Up. Oh, you might just burst into flames. Also, you keep wanting to take Boar, and eventually you will burst into flames. So uh, so that's bad. I don't feel like that drug would work. I feel if, if you're, the pusher was like, hey, man, try this drug, and you're like, I, I heard there's a chance it makes you explode. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, a little chance, a little chance of that. Also, I heard the effect of this drug is extreme pain. So, now nah, I'm good. Okay, well, would you like to take it with a sub-drug that exists on the island that makes it so that the drug you take will, will occur, the, uh, the effects of it will occur a random time from now instead? Oh, yeah. There's uh, Relapse, which is essentially just a drug that you add to a drug. And it can be any drug, not just the ones that are new in the book. I like that they mention it works on alcohol. And yeah. it's, like, it's like a tiny blue pill. And this blue pill ca- contains a, a dose of whatever the other drug it is you take, and it take it takes effect on you either a few hours or up to a few weeks from the moment you take it, completely at random. Yeah. Now, <laughs> this of course means you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm a weird person and I want the danger of randomly tripping off acid at a random point in time. Except it's a random point in time, which means you could just be asleep and then it releases and you're like Oh, man, I'm tripping off acid in my sleep. And then you wake up and you're like, I am no longer high. Well, I'm the, glad I bought that. The problem is that anywhere from a few hours to a few weeks is far too long of a window. Like, you could see this being used as an interesting party drug. Like, I could see a bunch of sybaritic rich people using this as a party drug if it occurred anywhere in the next six hours. Oh, yeah. If it you, was like, what is this? Oh, it delays something for like two or three hours. You're like, great. This means we can all take this drug drive to whatever place we're going to go to get in there so we're pretty much sober and until we get in there 
and we don't have to worry about like having to take anything while we're there. But then once our rave or orgy or whatever is going on on this island starts, then it'll kick in and great. Right. Or, for example, because this book has a lot of rape and, pro- and uh, unpleasant prostitution and what have you, I, as opposed to pleasant prostitution, which I, I am fully in favor of, what I'm saying is this book has a lot of like forced criminal kidnappings and so on. That yes. Uh, but uh, that means that you could easily use this stuff for a roofie party where, you know, you don't want to be the first one to have it take effect on. Yeah. So uh, that's the sort of thing where where you could see it in use. But again, it's like it works on any drug and up to like a month from now. It's just completely at random. Now, the uh, the little sidebar for it also mentions that the people who take this will often say that the drug has a mind of its own and will activate at the worst possible time. Which means even the people who are using it are like, Oh yeah, when I use this, it it's definitely gonna fuck me up in my life. Like it's just gonna ruin me. And it, it says that it's very popular amongst gamblers. And I'm like, no, it wouldn't be. Gamblers don't like bad odds. Yeah, if I go up to a gambler and I'm like, hey man, you wanna bet a thousand dollars? There's a ten million to one chance that you'll get a thousand and fifty dollars. And if you lose, I punch you in the dick and take your money. You know who doesn't? You know, gamblers play shit like blackjack and pie gow and uh, and poker, right? Gamblers don't play roulette. No. And this is roulette, except that if you don't get your exact number, you get punched in the balls. Yep. So it's a terrible drug. It's a, it's a drug for an idiot. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, communion, which is a powder that makes you more religious. Yeah, it gives you a religious experience. You, like, essentially see your god, and he gives you advice on what to do. And then you come down, and you're like, oh, that was amazing. It's a targeted, specific uh, hallucination, basically. Which is interesting because like half of these just give you weird hallucinations. You've also got MDA cubed, which is the ultra rape drug. Yeah, it turns you into a super sex maniac very briefly, and you have the world's best orgasm, but then you never get an orgasm that good again, even with the drug. Yep. So it's essentially like, oh, if I give this to someone, it's not even just roofing them, which would be bad enough, but it's like, oh, you make it so they like basically force themselves on anything around them right and eventually you lose the high of of uh, having sex while you're on the drug because the drug gets weaker every time you use it but it says that you still get a high when you have sex with someone who was using the drug for the first time yeah you don't get quite the same level as of high but it's better yeah which means that everyone who takes this drug eventually turns into this drug vampire walking around trying to hook virgins with it yep then you've got uh, nightmare which just gives you a nightmare it gives you a Waking nightmare, and again, who's taking this? It's, it's essentially... like it says it's for Satanists, but no. But it's like, what is this? Oh, not only does it give you weird, like trippy shenanigans, so it essentially is a bad LSD trip. But it specifically says it gives you feelings of doom and powerlessness, and you're like, oh great! It's not even just I want to see some weird, like horrible stuff because I'm into that. But it also makes me feel terrible. Right. Yeah. That's what people use drugs for. <laughs> Even like the people who it describes as being the target audience, like Satanists and stuff. I, I don't feel like Satanists sit around going, man, I sure wish someone would punch me. I hate that I don't hurt right now. Yeah. I'm like, no, it, the Satanists are all about self-indulgence and feeling good at other people's expense. Yeah. This is a drug that just makes you feel bad for nothing. All right. Let's zip through the last three here. Uh, slow-mo. Slow-mo is the only drug that is actually has a ban and is enforced because it is a combat drug that makes it so that the world seems slower. Your neurons are firing faster, so it can be a super awesome combat drug, 
but also might just blow your brain up. Note that it is described as being rare in that it costs like $10 to get a hit of this. Oh my god, the drugs on this, like, uh, communion is made from the pineal gland of glugs, Mm -hmm. and it costs like 10 bucks. Right. So it's made out of the small, tiny gland from one type of extremely rare alien, I'm sorry, original human, Yeah. which you, which are kept in, in absolute secrecy, and it's cheap as shit. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, from uh, the nightmare is made from a uh, the excrement of a tulpa, which mm-hmm. is psychic energy that has taken on a human form, and if you can get that, you essentially have to stalk them and steal their poop, and you can make 10 doses from it. Yeah. Tulpa, by the way, is also a popular term amongst uh, bronies. When it, it, it's their ver- version of waifus. It's whenever they, they use super uh, mental energy to create a, a, a psychic living pony girlfriend that they can have sex with. If you were curious, it's because it's based on a Sanskrit thing. So that's, that's why the word shows up in, in two horrible places. Uh, okay. And then uh, we got Wings, which is just crazy super LSD just for the <laughs> which island. Is, which is just LSD that they've put in a different uh, pill and told you that it is going to give you an out-of-body experience. And then my favorite of the drugs on the island, which is the one that turns you into uh, Ditko, because it's, it's called Zorro, and it makes you see the world in black and white morality. Yep. You just go, oh, I immediately think that whatever my perspective is, is correct and everything else is wrong. There is no shade of gray anymore. Yeah. It, it, it turns you into Steve Ditko. It turns you into Ditka? Yeah, it turns you into Mike Ditka. Ditka. And then all of a sudden you want to coach the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those are the drugs on the island. Uh, anything else we want to talk about? about Al- oh, oh, I, we're way over time right now, John, but we have to. Before we talk about our favorite and least favorite things in this book, we have to describe the slang of the island. And not just pubes and glugs, but specifically the six ways on the island to say yes. Oh, God. Okay. So, because the island is a strange melting pot and has been, like, conquered and reconquered, so the people who are there originally are various and sundry mixed races, but then a shitload of people from all over come in. They even describe how the island has has been developed. It's like, oh, the Persians had it for a while, and then the Greeks had it, and so on. At one point, it was even called Al-Amarja instead of Al-Amarja. It's just that it was eventually taken over by Catalonian Spain. Yeah. Um, so, so the J has changed descriptions, but yeah, there's a million different types of people. At one point it was Alamographicala. <laughs> I'm a fence sitter. I think it's a hard J, but I technically pronounce it graphical every time so that no one argues with me. Uh, it's pronounced Alamarga. <laughs> Alamarga. That's, that's going to be the hard way. And that's the one that the original writers meant for it too. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're still alive, so we've asked them. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, there are, because there are so many people from so many different walks of life on the island. Uh, a lot of languages are popular, and so they've all kind of learned to speak a pigeon of Alamarian, uh, which has six different yeses in it ba- based on which way you mean to say yes. Yep. So, of course, there is, if you just say yes in English, that's your standard just yes, affirmative. Mm-hmm. Now, so, <laughs> the other ways that you can say yes have different connotations. All of them are racist. <laughs> so there's da. Which means you are depressed and everything is terrible. So it's like, oh man, I heard you got laid off. Duh. Yeah, so da is the sad, drunken yes. You've got ya, which is uh, the militaristic, uh, effective, uh, kind of uh, 
critically important way to say yes. Yeah, so if uh, your boss is like, oh, I, I need you to do this. Will you do this on time? Yeah. Yeah. You've got uh, the way to say yes in a very efficient manner that implies that you have business acumen. Hi. That is correct. Uh, you have the way to say yes that indicates that you are romantically in- in- interested in what you're at being offered. So, for example, would you like to come upstairs with me? We. Oui. Correct. Uh, you have the... <laughs> and then you have my favorite. Yeah, the the lazy, fine, I'll get around to it. I say, yeah, I'm going to say this yes several times in a row to get you to lay off because I'm a lazy person, yes. And that is? C, C, C. <laughs> For example, John, go mow my lawn. C, C, C. Jesus Christ. Yep. It even has the, uh, the way to say the certain things, like the examples, and it is, come on, man, get back to work, you lazy incompetence. C, C, C. I'm like, wow, really? Yeah, that is a real thing in this book. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that. Uh, when I keep talking about how this book has hookers on every page, I'm not lying. There's hookers on every page. And uh, because they wanted to be a libertarian paradise, hookers cost about $15.50 an hour. Yep. Unless you want one of the expensive ones that's like, a mutant I'm or half something rat cool. person. Yeah. You, you pay for, for distinction amongst hookers. Yeah. If you're like, this hooker's got two faces merged awkwardly into a single face, that's like $21 an hour. Oh, come on. That's an actual NPC. I know, he's a bartender. Bitter and Herb. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. There's so many things we didn't get to, and I really wanted to get to them. And Oh, I, yeah. I, this I, The book has a billion different things you could do, I, as well as uh, some sample adventures at the back that... The advice is you run each adventure with different characters just to give your players a feel for what the island is like and what they would like to focus on. I really wanted to talk about the one church on the island that is a different church every day because it was like just straight out. It was just seven entries of social commentary. Yeah. It was like on Sundays, this church is a Christian church. It is boring and no one goes. On On Saturday, it's the Super Party Summerite Church and everyone listens to music and has fun. Yeah. Yeah. On Fridays, it's Anything Goes Day, and all the religions show up. On Friday, I'm in love. (laughs) Anything goes on that day, and they all have sex with each other constantly. So much sex. Sex, sex, sex. This book has sex every third word. Yeah, it's all about orgies. Uh, And every woman in the book is described as either hideously ugly or remarkably buxom. Yes. A little old school thing there. Thankfully, since the book doesn't have a core seduction skill, I was not able to find an example of bad (laughs) seduction skill. (laughs) <laughs> well, the book is also very much like, yeah, everyone's fucking everything. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, oh, what are you having sex with a lizard? No one cares. Alamara. Welcome to Alamara. <laughs> All right, John. What would you say is your favorite thing about Over the Edge? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say the best thing in this is it was very forward looking for the the aspects uh, that yeah. you have like from Fate. Yeah. Character is creation is, is super early. Yeah. You get the uh you just sort of make up whatever your character is you have very broad scopes for certain things uh the fact that whatever you want to do you can just make up for your character and even if you don't know it if it's something you could ostensibly do you still get two dice it's very the character creation is feels very modern yes it does it feels for a game that came out in 1992 this is amazingly modern for character creation way ahead of its time yeah, so that would be my favorite thing. What about you? Uh, I'm going to say the fact that this book had such a weird inspiration. Yeah, it's not often that people are like, oh, what it, what inspired you to make this RPG? Oh, just one of the weirdest books that exist. 
Yeah, I mean, normally when you look at a book and it's inspiration, it's either I saw some cool sci-fi movie, uh, I ha- actually have a game license, or, I don't know, Elves and Dwarves again. I feel like I'm going to get it right this time. It's, uh, well, I was inspired by Tolkien, or I was inspired by Star Trek, or maybe you're like, I was inspired by kung fu movies or something like that. Yeah, but this was inspired by Naked Lunch. Yeah, super weird. I crazy idea and i i wholeheartedly respect the the authors for doing that yeah for for having such a crazy idea and putting it to paper Uh uh-huh so i'm gonna say that's my favorite thing about this what would you say is your least favorite thing uh i'm gonna leave you what you want to say so i'm gonna go ahead and say the unnecessary bullet rules and everything else because it's right after you come from this super modern feel of uh a very broad not like restrictive character creation then you get to the rules for rolling for things and it's like oh you have a difficulty that the gm sets there is no like that it doesn't have that uh standard this is easy if it's a three and then it's moderate if it's a five and doesn't give you that list of like Mm -hmm. i went through a thesaurus and found every term for difficult and also it doesn't have the uh like uh, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have that yeah. pr- that th- thesaurus thing, which I always hate. So you're like, oh, that's very cool. But then you hit the point where it's talking about combat, and it just goes off the goddamn rails for no reason. So the the actual combat in this game is insanely complicated for no reason. That that is true, and, and it it was especially disappointing coming, like you said, coming off of such a simple section right before it, where it was yeah. like, hey. You want to do something fun in this game? Roll some dice. Whatever. Move along. It's it's fast and furious and gets right out of your way. We don't even need stats. There's no stats in this game. You don't know what your character's dexterity is. Yeah, you don't need to. If you think your character is especially dexterous, make that one of your things. Yeah. So I, I deeply respected that, and then you're right. It, it comes to a crushing halt right away when it gets to the combat rules. It's like yep. they didn't know how to do it. Yeah, it was weird. So that would be my least favorite thing in here. You want to go ahead and talk about GM advice? Yes, because we <laughs> haven't gotten to it yet. And we're, this episode is going to be an hour and a half long, and I don't care. Fuck it. Uh, all of the ep- all of the GM advice in this book is based around the concept of, of secretly punishing your players for violating unspoken rules. All of it. All of it. So every time it's like, hey, have you got a party of characters together? Is one of them causing problems at the table? Well, you could talk to them, you know, like you would in any other situation, like later when you're going to have to argue over where to go for lunch. You could have a conversation with them about it, or you could craft a hidden, inescapable trap that teaches them no lesson because you didn't tell them why you're doing it. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, if one of your players is too powerful of a psychic, just have them run into a brain looper. You're like, what? That'll blow that character up, and you can start over anew. Uh, That'll learn them. No, it won't. No, uh, it'll learn them that you're a dick. I mean, there is some decent advice in there. Uh, a few ways on like having the disparate characters that you interweave a story of cutting back and forth between them. Yeah, there and there is some advice relating to one guy who creates a super powerful character, where his DM basically talks him down from the ledge. It's like, no, don't do that. Let's try and make you a character that isn't just stupid. Yeah, I mean, right down to the point we're pointing out that Zen meditation, the I have a, a, a thing called Zen meditation, and its thing is that it gives me an extra die on everything I do. And he's like, that isn't even that has nothing to do with your character. You should just, uh, I mean, your character's some kind of like street biker. He's not a Zen meditation person. You should replace that with something that makes sense. And also, a, a skill that just gives you extra dice on your other skills doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that was all right, but a lot of the time it was these secret DM tra- uh, trap crafting. Yeah. Which is which is wholly unnecessary and never good advice. No, it is very much the 
the early 90s showing through where yeah. even if it was very forward thinking on a lot of things, that mentality is still very early 90s. Yeah, and it's a difference because there's a different mentality with the, I, I want to say mid to late 80s, which is uh, the DM basically just sets down a layer of traps and from that point forward is a neutral party. Yeah, it's I already crafted this beforehand and here we go. Yeah, all I'm doing is helping you check whether or not the numbers work. In the 90s, it's not like they figured out that it was sort of an interaction or participation event where the DM is just another player. Instead, it became this, the DM is your dad situation, which was deeply annoying. Which is sad because there is actually a specifically says, written by Robin D. Law's section in this, mm -hmm. where it goes, hey, there was a point in time where instead of uh, going along with the best strategy, someone said, but my character wouldn't do that. And at that point... The game became less about the game and more about crafting a story. And your GM isn't just a storyteller. He's someone that's collaborative. And there's this whole thing of Robin D. Laws talking about, you know, this is a collaborative effort and it's all about the story and less about doing this or that. And then it is immediately followed by, and now if one of your players doesn't do what you want them to do, please shoot them in the testicles. Right. I, I can't, again, we've reviewed Feng Shui and talked about Robin D. Laws a couple of times beforehand because I've also read Feng Shui 2, which is amazing. Uh, he is a really interesting, really good writer. Uh, we, we And it was amazing to see his name in this thing because I read the book before I went back and looked at who wrote it. And I saw his name in there. I was like, what? What did he have to do with this? How did he get roped in? <laughs> this book came out two years before Feng Shui, which is one of the most important works in early 90s RPG design. I mean, it's got everything you... You look at the first Feng Shui and you're like, what was this written, like 2012? This seems like it was written around 2012. <laughs> and it's not. It's from 94. It came out way too early. So I really want to know what lessons he took away when writing this, which has every DM trap bad advice idea ever in it, <laughs> and an unreasonably complicated combat system. I want to know if there was a point in his life where he was like, man, writing over the edge was garbage. Here's how I'm going to do it right. <laughs> this, this is going to be a modern RPG that makes sense. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, would you play Over the Edge? Uh, you know, I could be talked into it. It's, it's it's easy enough to make a character that if someone was like, I really want to do a weird conspiracy theory thing. It would make a good one-shot game because it's so fast to make a character and the characters feel so disposable as a result. Yeah, so that I wouldn't have a problem with. But uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd probably play this. Fair enough. Uh, I guess I also would probably play this, uh, again, because it's so easy to make characters and it would be, it's sort of thing you could literally play in three hours at the local game store, which mm -hmm. is a class of RPG that is sadly lacking. Yeah. I mean, normally when you look at the reason you don't want to start playing a game is because you don't have months of five hour sessions of time left in your life. <laughs> but this game, you could be like, Hey guys, you want to play one story I wrote about an alien? All right, let's do it. Great. Well, there you go. So I, I guess it's a, a, a caution a sort of vague recommend from both of us for this guy? Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it certainly is worth reading. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. It, uh, again, that inspiration, the fact that this was based on Burroughs' books is so weird that it's worth reading. Yeah. It, it, you're not going to be bored. When you're reading through this, you're not going to be like, ugh, dwarf stats again. <laughs> oh, what do you know? They like mining. Yeah, no, it, it is very weird. But, uh, yeah, I mean... You'll definitely have a lot of eye-rolling moments while reading it. That is true. If you like rolling your eyes at, at over-the-top dumbness, then you're going to have a good time with that. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, yeah, it's an interesting read. There you go. 
All right, so that has been a review of Over the Edge, which took far too long. Way too long. There is too much weird crap in this book. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we have been the System Mastery Podcast. You can find us at systemmasterypodcast.com. Also, you can support us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, you get our bonus content. Both of us are going to have to sit down and make Over the Edge characters now, which really, that's going to be easy. The hard part's going to be filling an entire half hour talking about characters that take 10 seconds to make. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. You watch us, by God. Uh, but if you support us at any level whatsoever, you get those bonus episodes, and you get our special feed, which allows you to have uh, every single one of the shows that we record all on one RSS feed. Yeah, that's the best part. That's the, Yeah, that, that's way better than the bonus episodes. Yeah, our bonus content is garbage, but you know, that <laughs> RSS feed really gives you access to those bonus content episodes, which is really what you want. <laughs> anyway, other than that, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, Reddit, uh, whatever. Anywhere you look, you'll find us out there. You can send us your afterthought questions. You can recommend movies. You can recommend RPGs. You can just tell us that we're wrong. Anything you want to do, let us know. We're here for you. We like to hear from you. Uh, that should be just about it, unless John's got anything else he wants to say. Nope. Then we're done. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with a new episode. And until then, have a good week. <laughs>